All right, everybody. Well, hey, listen, welcome to New Life. Glad you guys can make it out today. My name is Jeff Baker. If this is your first time with us, I am one of the pastors on staff. Um, if this is not your first time with us, then you're out there saying, duh, uh, I heard this every week. I know, I'm just trying to be nice to people that, uh, especially those of you that might be here for the very first time. Now, I know it's frigid out there, okay? There are colder places on the planet, and I want you to consider how warm it actually is right now if you lived on the North Pole. That's one of the ways that you can just feel like, wow, man, we're on a, we got a heat wave coming through right now. Um, just if you ever get overwhelmed with that, just go Google what the temperature is on the North Pole and you'll feel wonderful. So that's just my point of recommendation for you. Take it or leave it, whatever you want to do. Hey, we're in the middle of a teaching series that we've entitled Ball and Chain. Chain. Right. I I really pray. I really pray that um, over this past couple of weeks and through um, our Sunday school class that we actually have going on right now down in our high school auditorium that's packed full of uh, couples that are going through a, a marriage course. And that uh, the marriage seminar that we had this past weekend, Friday night, Saturday morning, down in our gymnasium, and with this teaching series, I'm really praying for you guys, and for myself, that God would help us to decrease the mass of our life, that ball at the end of someone's chain, that we would become a, a much better spouse, we would become a much, a much better co-worker. Um, or a roommate in a college dorm situation. Um, that in the future, if you're single, that you will become a, a godly spouse that honors both God's word and honors the one who God gave you. And by the way, the one that you will eventually choose. So um, my, that's my prayer for you, right? I know that some of you have gone through divorce and maybe that you're single right now. And I, I know that maybe when we talk about things like marriage, that's difficult for you. That's why... I just really wanted to approach this teaching series more from relationships and use a lot of examples of marriage, not just a series about marriage. So I hope that you're tracking with me. I've gotten good feedback uh, from others that are here today that have yet to make the commitment of marriage, um, or maybe even you're widowed and you're considering getting back into a relationship. All of this type of material is right on the money for you. Um, it's right where, you're, right where you're at, right where you're living. It's the kind of things you can apply to your life and, and you can see a transformation happen. So today, in our journey, we want to we talk about what it means to be one because... You know, you got to become one. One in what, though? Today, it's one in commitment. One in commitment. There's a couple of people I want to talk to you about really quickly, though, that I think they had a struggle with the issue of commitment. Like this couple. Um, it's Octavian uh, Gillian and Adriana Martinez. These two folks, they couldn't make a decision on being committed to one another, so they actually dated, it's in, the, it's in the Guinness Book of World Records, for 67 years. Dated for 67 years, they finally decided to get married at the age of 82. Both of them were 82. And they finally decided, I think, I think they probably looked at each other and decided, well, you've been good to me this long, we might as well get married, I guess. I don't know, what do you do after 60-some years of just dating? How long, how many dates did, did they go out on for dinner that she sat on the other side of the table and thought to herself, this has got to be the one. This is the one. He's going to, nope, it wasn't. No, nope, this will be the one. Nope. Okay, I know it's been five years, but now it's going to, can you imagine the conversations that happen between friends over a situation like that? Now that's on the long end of things. What about the short end of things? Because the, as, as, as far as I can discern and discover in my own research, the shortest marriage on record lasted 90 minutes. It was in London. 
All right, it was over in England. And uh, these two these two people got together, Scott McKee and Victoria Anderson. They get together. They have their, their wedding in, in front of the judge. They go off to have their reception in about an hour, 60 minutes into this new marriage that they've discovered, this love that they have. Um, uh, Scott decides that he's going to make a... Um, uh, like a toast to the bridesmaids. And it, it kicks off Victoria enough that she does what, what any, you know, new bride would do. She picks up an ashtray and smashes it against Scott's head. Of which Scott, a, you know, new husband as of 60 minutes, decides to do what any new husband would do, right? He picks up, uh, one of those, uh, coat, uh, racks that's straight standing and he picks it up like a javelin and he, and he hurls it at her, misses her, slams into the bar. You know, like all new new married couples do, um, that that was their mode. He ends up in jail for the night. She ends up filing for divorce. It's over in 90 minutes. I think both of these couples have commitment problems. You can read about that, by the way. Uh, I think it was uh, it was printed in the Australian Sun. So um, you wanna you wanna go back and take a look at that. Um, now, there's another couple though. They they really have. They've grabbed a hold of what commitment is. And this is uh, Norman and Norma uh, Burma. These, this, this couple, they actually are the longest married couple in America on record. They've been married for 83 years. Uh, 83 years. Uh, I think it's pretty awesome. Still alive today. Um, that, that's a long time. One of the things when I was reading about them, but just kind of jumped off the page, one of the things that they do as a life habit that uh, I'm going to suggest to you is one of the one of the reasons why they're still together to this day is they say they wake up every morning and they pray together. That's pretty special. They wake up every morning and they pray together. They live down in Marksville, uh, Louisiana, and uh, this couple is a great example of what commitment looks like. They they're an example of teaching us that commitment isn't just a feeling, right? It's a promise that's non-negotiable. It's not something that you just like, oh, I feel committed to you. It's I made a promise to you and it's non-negotiable. They understand that God takes commitment very, very seriously. Take a look with me in Luke chapter 9 at God's heart towards commitment. He says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow, anyone who dives in, anyone who commits, anyone says, I'm in, but then looks back, it's not fit even for the kingdom. You know good and well when someone's truly committed to you and when someone's going, yeah, I got your back, but they're looking a different direction. You, you know when someone, when you don't have all of someone's heart. Some of you in here right now, you're married and you, you're sitting next to your spouse. You love them, but you, you're not sure that you have all of their heart. And what happens when commitment breaks down? What happens when you're not sure if you actually have all of someone's heart or not. Well, we can't become one. We end up becoming the ball at the end of someone's chain. That's not where we want to go today. If you're married in here, or if you're considering getting married in the future, then you will one day stand on a platform like this, and you'll make a vow to one another, which is a statement of commitment to each other. I just want you to practice with me. If you've been married, maybe not for 83 years, but 26 years or however long you've been married, um, then you can fill in the blanks with me, right? I state your name. Not no. Are you guys for real? I state your name. When is that? You don't do that kind of stuff. 
You guys are a bunch of comedians, aren't you? Let's just switch roles. Why don't you guys come up here? You guys crack jokes up here at the beginning of a sermon. All right? All right. So I, I, and then you would say your name, right? Let's try this again. I, Jeff Baker. Okay. Take you. Now, now think up, think, just, you don't have to think very hard, but if your spouse is with you, then you're going to want to say their name. If you want, if you want to get married at some point in the future uh, and you don't know the name of the person, just say the word angel. Okay. So, um, so say, say, let's do this again, right? I, okay. Take you. Okay. To be, to be my, and it would be like, you know, wife or husband, depending on who's saying which one they're saying. Okay. Got it. All right. To have and to hold, right? From this day forward, for better, for worse. We're not getting remarried, by the way. Don't worry about it. Some of you are sitting next to your spouse right now and you're like, I always wanted to renew our vows. <laughs> this is not, this is not that moment. All right. Um, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness or in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Right. It's a great moment just to turn, turn to your, your husband or your wife and just look them in the eye and tell them, I love you, baby. All right, like that. With a, with a low voice like that. I love you, baby. Um, keeping, just, just stop right there, though, please. Um, I know. Some of you just like, you want to keep going like it's a night, like a late night talk show or something on the radio. Night sounds with, all right. Keeping your vows, right, is what it means to live wanting commitment. When we forget that we made these types of vows to one another, then commitment really starts to break down. I'm not suggesting that you need to go back and reread um, your vows again. I, I, di- I use these just to remind you that in our culture and in God's kingdom, when God says two are becoming one, we make these statements to one another because we're trying to emulate to the best of our ability what's going on in our heart, this commitment that we're wanting to actually make to each other. And I want to help you today to be one in commitment in all of your relationships. If you're single here today, I want you to consider making and keeping your vow to God as your most important vow that you're ever going to have. Because at the end of this sermon, you're going to hear me say the spoiler line, which is, because you need to hear it at the beginning and the end, your commitment with your spouse will never, ever be stronger than your commitment with God. So, If you want to have a healthy marriage in the future, then your commitment with God is where you have to land. Rule it, dominate it, understand it, give your life to it, because no other relationship on this planet is ever going to be stronger than your commitment that you have with God. And when you have this oneness and commitment with God, now you're walking out God's plan for your life. And if you're single here today, or you're divorced, or you're widowed, and you're wondering, who's the person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with? Let me tell you how you're going to find them. You're not going to find them just by going out onto the date sites. You're not going to find them by going out to a bar someplace on a Friday night. You're not going to find them just by jumping into, you know, all of the different organizations that you can get yourself into. Oh, now listen, I know we run into people there. And I know when we run into people there, we end up spending the rest of our lives with them. I I got that. But you're going to find that person as you make a commitment to God. You follow out God's plan for your life. God will put you in the right place at the right time to talk with just the right person. How do you find that? that, How do I find Kim? God puts me in the right place at the right time. And now I can be one in commitment. The problem is we have way too many marriages where 
Commitment is hanging on feeling and a selfish desires. They're not built on godly integrity. Feelings and selfish desires. And there's two big things at work that I see in our society and that I hear a lot in different marriage counseling situations that are eroding or they're eating away at our commitments and our ability to make a commitment to one another. And those two primary things, although this is not an exhaustive list, but the two primary things have to do with sexual impurity and a sense of loyalty to one another. And today I just want to talk to you a little about about these two problem areas. So if you want to become one in commitment with each other, and especially in your marriage, then you're going to have to stay sexually pure. Sexually pure isn't just, you know, staying away from adultery. Or it isn't just staying away from sex before marriage. Our world's full of opportunities to become sexually impure. I mean, just think about it really quickly with me. What's the very first thing you go to? It would be your access to pornography. That would be the very first place that I would go um, when you're dealing with you know, this issue of sexual um, impurity. Because it's just, it's run rampant. It's all over the place. It's, it's on your smartphone. It's on your, it's on your tablet. It's, on, it's at your laptop. It's at your desktop. Um, it's in convenience stores. It's, it's on billboards. It's all over the place. Pornography has become something that obviously you, you know this because you live on the same planet that I live on. It's not just something where you, you have to walk into a particular store, into a particular place um, to actually gain access to it. Now you can be anywhere at any time and just gain access to it. And that, that's, that is a, a sickening thing for our culture. It's a sickening thing for our marriages. And it's causing a complete separation, which we'll talk about more complete separation in our ability to commit to one another. You have other places like these video chat rooms where you can go in and, you know, with a with the camera that sits on your phone or your tablet or your laptop and you can interact with people from all over the world and build relationships that you don't have to build with the real person that you're married to who, you know, you spend the rest of your life with. You can actually just jump out there and connect with all any, anybody you want to and you actually you end up dis- disconnecting yourself from your spouse as you're flirt- flirting with others and as you're giving yourself emotionally um, to others. There's a lot of emotional adultery that's going on, not just physical adultery that's causing commitment issues between one another. Um, social media sites, and I, I like social media. I don't, I'm not bashing you know, social media, but I'm just saying it's a, it's a place where commitment breaks down as we can actually connect with others. So we have this promiscuous behavior that once used to be kind of in the closet situation, it's out on the street, it's out in the public, it's in our, it's in our movies, it's in our TV, it's in our internet, it's in our music, it's just everywhere. Everywhere you go, you have this sexual immorality that's out there saying to you that what you once used to think was normal and what you once used to think is pure, they're trying to rechange the definition for you. And I'm telling you today, God's definition of purity is still the same definition. It hasn't changed no matter what scheme man comes up with, no matter what sin man comes up with. God's plan is still the same. And he's asking us to stay sexually pure. In fact, this is what God says about marriage in Hebrews chapter 13. Take a look at it. He says, marriage should be, it should be honored by everyone. And husband and wife should keep their marriage pure. God will judge as guilty those who take part in sexual sins. God's talking specifically about marriage here. 
He's just jumping in and he's saying, listen, I want you to stay pure, sexually pure in your marriage. That's something that God's saying. That's not something Jeff is saying. And to keep your marriage pure or to stay committed, it starts way before you get married. Many of you know this. Many of you wish you could reverse the clock and you could go back. Because if you, if you would, then one of the things you would do to keep your marriage pure today is you would have avoided sex before marriage. You would have avoided it. Why? Because now there's images and there are memories and there are things that are locked into the memory banks of your life that they, they have the ability to come back at times and control you. So if you're single out here today, please heed the warning. It's not just to keep people from having fun. It's to preserve your oneness and commitment so that you can honor God in a marriage. The reason why we do that is because, and maybe you've seen an illustration like this before, but if you take these two pieces of tape, which one represents, you know, me and the other one represents Kim, and before Kim and I, you know, meet in life, let's just say that there's all types of sexual relationships that we have. You know, we've got different boyfriends and girlfriends, and it's not just uh, about an emotional thing. It's about a sexual, it's about an, uh, a physical thing. And so we, we're sticking our lives to, to one another. And when you do that, the first time, you know, things, it's a little hard to pull apart. And, and that's what God was looking for in your marriage. But what happens is when you were, when you were promiscuous and, and you are, or even if you're continuing to be that, um, in, in a before marriage situation, when you're giving yourself to, to others, then every time you do that, you lose this a little bit of that tackiness. You lose a little bit of the ability to stick to the one that God gave you. I'm going to try to heat it up because sometimes, man, we really think we're in love. Woo-hoo. Right? And uh, just try to you know, give, it, give that adhesive thing just a little extra oomph. But it doesn't, it doesn't quite work that way, does it? And many of you are sitting here today with the wounds of the past affecting the, the current situation because of how many times you gave yourself away to someone else who wasn't the one that God said, I want you to become one with. And now it just doesn't even matter, does it? I mean, the, the ability to stick, is you've kind of you've lost it. That will, affect your, that will affect your marriage. When you lose the tackiness because you give yourself away to others. So if you're here today and you have the ability, because you're not married yet, to avoid or stay away from sex before marriage, you need to understand it's because God's reserving all of that tackiness, all of that ability to be committed to one person. He's reserving it for them. So when the two of you come together, it's much harder for you to be ripped apart. Another thing that is happening, which I was mentioning earlier, that is making our marriages impure is pornography. It's making our marriages impure. It's, in fact, it's destroying commitment because it sets up a false expectation for your spouse. You get these images and videos and things in your head, and it, it sets up this expectation for your spouse to do certain things or perform a certain way, and you, you, you're putting this thing on them unfairly, unrightly, and it's destroying your ability to really commit to them. In fact, it breaks down intimacy. In your marriage right now, if... Um, if you're dabbling in pornography, one of the things, the side effects that you're experiencing right now is that um, intimacy is breaking down because you are self-gratifying yourself in a place where you don't need to be going. When your spouse finds out, 
Do they just kind of go, oh, okay. Well, now, now that explains things. No, doesn't it, doesn't it happen that when your spouse finds out that you've been doing some things in secret, doesn't it always make them kind of wonder to themselves, well, why, why, what's wrong with me? Um, you know, what did I do wrong? Is there something wrong with me? It starts to erode their own confidence. It, it ends up decaying them. And as you decay them, and here you are, and you're over here dabbling in pornography, and here they are now decaying. Now the two of you, it, 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 you've lost some tackiness to be able to stick together with one another. It's like playing with fire. And you play with the fire long enough, and you're going to get burnt. So you might be able to play with the fire of pornography for a while, but I'm telling you, over time, the lack of commitment that is, that's building between the two of you is going to end in decay, dissolve, and destruction. You might be single today. Because I've had single folks that have come into my office right after they got married, and they wondered to themselves why their spouse was so upset about this pornography thing. Well, while they were single, they were just dabbling in pornography and they just kept going in it and they didn't think anything was wrong with it. And it's like playing with fire and then they end up getting married and their spouse is totally torqued off at them. It's destroying everything about them. Pornography is a, it's a fake, it's a false. It's, it's designed by Satan to get into your heart and to separate you from the one that God designed you for. And sexually, uh, sexual impurity of any kind it will create division between you and your spouse in your heart. Take a look at what this bold statement has to say in 1 Corinthians. It says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Now, you've heard this before, but listen to what else it says. Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say that the two are united into one. You're going, hold on, time out. Man, I'm not going to go use some prostitute. That's not what, that's not what's going to happen in my marriage. I'm above that. Got it. I, I understand what you're saying. But I don't think you're considering what, what the prostitute really is. It's not just another physical person. It is any sexual immorality that you allow to prostitute yourself with is going to create division because it says in that passage don't you realize basically that when you give yourself physically to another person whether it's in adultery or fornication that you are becoming united as one that same process is happening with all sexual immorality you're becoming united to it whatever it is And there's a whole list of them. Whatever it is, you're becoming united to it, which is basically separating yourself or it's distancing yourself from your spouse. It's creating a division where connection can't happen, where intimacy can't happen, where commitment doesn't happen. When you're committing yourself to sexual morality of any kind, oneness and commitment is eroding and it's breaking down. So how are you going to live sexually pure and become one in commitment with each other? How are we going to do that? First off, we have to confess our sexual sins to God. That's number one right off the bat. Secondly, you need to take those sexual sins and find some other people. If it's, if it's women that are here um, and you're dealing with some sexual sins, you go find a group of women and start some kind of a small group. If it's a group of guys... And guys, you're the ones that are dealing with it. Then go find some guys and start a, start a little life group together. A life group that doesn't just hold each other accountable, but a life group that's going someplace. 
A life group that goes, we're going to study God's Word. We're going to grab a hold of some material. You're not going to wait for Jeff Baker and life groups here at New Life to launch some kind of a pornography-free life group. You're going to go out and you're going to find some people and you're going to start it yourself. It doesn't have to be official. It doesn't have to be listed in our life group manual. It's about you and your hunger to become free and your hunger to become one with your spouse so that you can commit yourself to the person that God has you, has for you. Get out of the boat and go out there. You can join things on Wednesday nights that we have, like insight groups if you want to. But I would just encourage you to find a group of guys or women, find a group of women and find some people you're comfortable with and start moving someplace. Get yourself off of the island. Some of you are uh, trapped by sexual um, impurities in your life because you're afraid to confess them. Oh, I confess them to God. I know. But have you found freedom? That's why Paul says there are certain sins in our lives that we have to confess to one another as well to find freedom. Oh, God has grace. Yeah, God has grace and God forgives and God can empower. And there's a lot that needs to come in that relationship with God. But there's a lot that needs to happen getting yourself off the island by confessing to one another. Now, are we okay so far? All right, because we're going to go a little deeper. We're going to go just a moment deeper, just for a second, okay? If you're married in this place, and you want to overcome the sexual impurity, I'm going to suggest to you something pretty radical. Have sex often. When you, when you, don't, have, when you don't have regular sexual relationships happening that are healthy in your marriage, what you're basically doing is you're opening up the door, and you're, you're basically saying, let, let the prostitutes come in. Let the prostitutes come in. Let them come in in whatever form they are, whatever word they are, whatever demeanor they are. Let them come in. Because you're, you're abstaining, you're withholding, you're, you're using sex as some kind of a weapon against one another. Like, you offended me and I'm going to keep myself from you. Or you did this and months have gone by in some of your marriages. What happens when that takes place? Does it make you just feel, wow, man, I'm really committed to that person? Or does it make you feel distant? I'm just being honest in here. And the the honest is that you feel distant. Why? Because you've opened up the door for prostitutes to come in. And that will always separate you guys. The next thing between you and your spouse is start and end sex with the desire to please your spouse. Now that was a very, that, that point of wisdom I'm sharing with you came at a very awkward moment as I sat in Bob Wine's office one day talking to him about my relationship uh, with my wife and I mean he just didn't hold back any punches and there he sits there and he's giving me like the sex education talk from one pastor to another and sweat beads are rolling off my head and I'm like wondering to myself who can hear inside of this office right now and you know it was it was really weird but that point stuck with me and it never has left me and that type of a point right there helped to save some serious areas um, of, of destruction and commitment breakdown in my marriage. And I'm telling you today, that's something you got to consider. Thirdly, though, if you want to overcome the sexual impurity is, is the prayer piece. And that's a prayer. It's a prayer for your spouse. Because when you pray for your spouse, it builds intimacy. Prayer for your spouse allows God to step into the equation and to dig the well in your life deeper that causes you to want to commit more to them. 
When you pray for them, it's supernatural. When you're praying for each other, God can just come in, He scoops out all the junk, and He digs the well deeper, and He fills your heart with a greater intimacy and a greater love for your spouse. That's These are simple ways to look at sexual immoralities in your marriage and start to overcome those things. But the second thing is, if you want to become one in commitment, then you got to live loyal. Live loyal. All right, loyal... To live loyal in a marriage would basically be to show firm and constant support to your spouse. It would be, it would be basically, and there's an allegiance to you. Like, I am your cheerleader. I, I will stand with you. I will cheer you on. I'll be there when you fall down. You know, you know that, uh, I know that Kim thinks that I am the best. Um, and it's not a prideful thing. It's just that she lets me know that. She thinks that every sermon I, I preach is like the best sermon she's ever heard before. And that's, I mean, I love that about her. She just encourages me. I know it's not true. Trust me. I know it's not true. All right? But that's the way, that's, that's how she sees me. And it just builds me up. And it builds my, it builds my confidence, that loyalty to know that she has my back. No matter what circle she's in. No matter what's being said. She'll have my back. Even if something surprises her, she'll have my back. Oh, she'll come to me later on. And I might feel it on my back a little bit. But she's got my back. Loyalty is that ultimate sign of respect and sacrifice. And I know that that's how she is to me. And I want, I want my wife to know that that's my attitude towards her as well. And Jesus, he's the one who lived the most loyal life before us. He's the ultimate example of loyalty, of, re, of showing respect to his father by following the plan. And of showing sacrifice to his father and to us. And Jesus is the one who said, this loyalty that I've modeled, I want to bring that right into the marriage. Maybe you've read this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, but read these few verses with me. Uh, you're going to read them just kind of in your, in your own heart. It says, and further, submit to one another, talking about marriage, out of reverence for Christ. Please remember this line. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hang on to that. We're going to come back to it. For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He, uh, he is the savior of his body, the church. It continues on. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now watch, it changes gears here. For husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave up his life for her. That's a powerful statement. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Listen to how it ends. He did this to present her, the church that is, in this situation, to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Listen to this, men. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love to who? To himself. There's a lot going on in this passage. I'm not going to even attempt to try to break it all down. because we There's like whole marriage seminars off of this one passage right here. But three quick things. Wives, submit to your husbands. We're talking about loyalty here. My wife does this in a few ways. Number one, she supports uh, my decisions. But she challenges me, though, in loving ways. So 
if she doesn't agree with something, it's not that she just submits to it and just, okay, whatever, you're the, you're the husband, I'm just gonna do whatever you want to. That's not, that's not what it means to submit to your husband just to like, well, whatever you want to do, we're just gonna do it. No, it's, you're gonna stand up. In fact, I've tried, I've had to literally help her stand up and become more firm because at one point in my life, I was more domineering and I crushed her and I, and I shoved her opinion down and she realized that when she spoke her opinion, it didn't really resonate with me that much. And I've, over the years, had to soften my own heart. I had to take my approach first and then unlock her and help her realize, honey, your opinion matters. God has spoken to me, I can't even tell you how many times, through my wife, as I've humbled myself, men, and I've listened to her. That's because she came with a submitted attitude. She came with a humbled heart. She came going, I just want to fulfill you. I just want to give the best to you. That's what my wife does. And her submission, it actually makes me, it makes me want to give her the best. So you need to realize something about the submission. Submission's pulling something out of your husband. It's pulling something out of him. It's making him go, I want to protect you. I want to give you the best. It makes him do what the Bible says, which says, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. It makes him want to listen to you. And that's one of the things I try to model for my wife. I try to model to the best of my ability, listen to you. I told you the other day, I come in, I come in the door and man, instantly she wants to, she wants to start talking about things. And I have to discipline myself and remind myself, I'm going to have to go home and put on the listening ears. (laughs) And if I don't go home and put on the listening ears, we're going to have, we're going to have some headbutting that's going to go on. But Christ loved the church. It makes me actually want to be the spiritual leader of my home. And guys, listen, you know what it means to be the spiritual leader of your home? Not to dictate to others what to do, but to dictate to yourself how to live. You want to be the true spiritual leader of your home? It starts right here inside of your heart. It starts with a submission to Christ first. It starts with a submission to God. It starts with a humbled heart. It starts with, a, with an attitude that says, I, you know, God, I'm not perfect, but I want to become more like you. It starts also with you then moving then to become the guardian of Christ-centered living in your home. The guardian. I can't tell you how many movies in our house that we've rented and I'm the one who sit, I'm the one who reached out with the remote and said, stop. You know what guys, we're going to do something else tonight. Um, that movie's definitely not going where we want it to go. That TV show's not going where we want it to go. That, that music, um, is definitely not going where we want it to go. It wasn't about being religious and legalistic. It was about being the spiritual leader of my home and realizing I'm the guardian. I'm the one standing there and there's this gate that you can gain access to my family, but you got to come through me. It's the whole attitude, men, of when, you know, someone wanted to date your, your oldest daughter and that sensation that came over you that you, you went, maybe, should I, could I, would it be right Could I get away with it without going to jail? Could I be cleaning my shotgun when he came over? You were wondering to yourself, could you do that? Why? Because this guardian inside of you was rising up. Do you have that same sensation? Do you have that same loyalty? Do you have that same attitude towards your family like Christ did for the church? Where he said, I want the church to be what? Holy. Spotless. That falls back on you. You're the guardian. Not only that, obviously, one of the things that we feel strongly about is the protector. And we got it. But both husband and wife, 
It requires a sold-out attitude. Someone that will always have your back, no matter no matter what happens, right? Someone that lives like all in, I'm all in, and I'm reserving nothing. Loyalty means, it has to have the attitude of I'm reserving nothing. I'm giving you my best and I've got your back. Oneness and commitment then comes from that very first statement in that passage where it says, submit to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. You want to be one in your commitment with each other? then you're going to have to come and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a 50-50 blend here, guys. That's why, that's why Jesus taught to not be unequally yoked. It's hard. It's hard to be when one person wants to live for God and the other person doesn't want to live for God. It's hard to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because you first have to have a reverence for Christ. If you don't have a reverence for Christ, how can you submit to one another? You first have to understand what it means to submit to Christ. So if you're single in here, I'm bringing you right back to the same place. You learn what it means to submit to Christ, and you'll find submitting to your spouse, which, remember, this is a husband submitting to a wife, and a wife submitting to a, to a husband. If you learn what it means to submit to Christ, you're going to be way more natural submitting to one another. That's where we are. So really, this whole oneness and commitment comes down to just a couple of things. First, it comes down to where is your commitment with God? Because you can never be more committed to anyone else on this planet than you are to God. Where you set the bar in your commitment to God is where you'll set the bar, because it will come just below that, somewhere down in here, with your commitment to one another. If you want to have a healthy marriage, if there's commitment issues going on, where should be the first place you run? It should The answer should be God. We first run to Him. And we address our commitment issues with God. And then it's a lot easier to deal with our commitment issues with one another. Because when we've confessed to God and when we've been honest with God, now we've got the platform to confess and be honest to one another. That's where true healing is going to come in your relationships. So that's what I encourage you today. If you're married, if you're married in this place, focus all of your energy on becoming one in your commitment with God. Work on becoming stronger in your relationship with Him. Stronger with God than you've ever been in your life. And if that's what you pursue, then you're creating the foundation that a healthy marriage can be built on. Oh, it may not make it perfect. No relationship on this earth is going to be perfect. But it's going to make it a lot easier to have a relationship that brings you joy, that that brings you peace, and that allows the two becoming one to become something powerful. Commitment to God, then commitment to one another. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, as we've been going through this teaching series, we determined that we don't want to become the ball at the end of someone's chain. That's going to require some real openness and honesty today. It's going to require us to stand before you and um, first come and deal with our commitment issues that we have with you. We have more than what we think. There's a lot of areas in our lives that we don't want to trust you with. In those areas, they go unruled. And those unruled areas become rebellious and independent. And they strike out like small armies in our own heart. And they reach out and they, they lash out pain and injustice to the ones we love the most. But we often end up hurting the people we love the most. We want to reverse that. 
We want to be committed to you. And through that ultimate commitment to you, just abandonment, surrender to you, you would heal the parts of our lives that are abrasive to others. And Lord, we could really, truly be committed to one another. Not just in word, but in deed. Not just in deeds that last for a moment, or deeds that are done when it gratifies us, but in word and in deed that brings glory and honor to you first. And it puts our spouse ahead of us. Oh, those last words in that Ephesians passage, they ring loud in our ears. They're both for husbands and for wives, that when we truly learn to love one another, now we're showing true love even to ourselves. Lord, forgive us that we've had that screwed up for so long. And Lord, if we, if we love ourselves, then, man, we can maybe be better for someone else. But you first loved us, and you ask us to love others. And through that, you will give us the best. So we run to you. Lord, may this church today, may they use altars like this, even during our worship time, to be one in commitment with you. And may they use, Lord, pews like this to kneel down in and just our worship team just to lead us and guide us with hands raised and with hearts turned towards you and just go, God, I want to be, I want to be committed to you. Have your way in this place. I want to be committed to you more than I want to be committed to anything else. So church, with all your heads bowed and your eyes closed in this place, I'm just going to encourage you as the worship team leads us. You run after God. You find complete commitment to Him. You run after Him and you give Him your life. You run after Him and you submit yourself to Him. You run after God today and no matter what that means, if you got to come down to this altar, you come down to this altar. This is the altar for the hungry who want to commit themselves to God. You run down to a place like this and commit yourself to Him. You come with your spouse and you kneel down at an altar like this and you commit your marriage to Him. You commit your relationship to Him. You commit your struggle to Him. Don't let pride interfere with your ability to become one with God or it will, over time, erode your oneness with your spouse. Let's run to God today. In Jesus' name.